You're listening to On The Record Offscript, the podcast. My name is Mark Coffin, and I'm one of the hosts. For the past two years, me and the Offscript team have been tracking down former members of the Nova Scotia legislature. Whenever we found one, we invited them to take part in an exit interview. Exit interview are conversations that employers have with their employees once they've left or decided to leave a job. To get answers to the questions that would be uncomfortable or unwelcome if the employee had to keep showing up to work in the weeks and months ahead. We sat down with dozens of former MLAs and had them reflect on their time in public life. We asked them to tell us about the good, the bad, and the ugly of how Nova Scotia politics works from the inside. All of our interviews were on the record, but what we heard didn't sound much like the usual scripts. Imagine it's your first day at a new job. The job is a complicated one. You're one of the few people who have ever held it. And despite big expectations from the people you work with and serve, there's no one place you can turn to to learn how to do it. A few weeks ago, in a speech given to the PEI legislature, the lone member of the Green Party expressed openly the challenges associated with doing that job. Mr. Speaker, this is a good moment perhaps for me to describe what I imagine my job as a legislator to be. It's a complicated a multifaceted vocation for sure and I, I won't pretend that I have a really good handle on what it's about after only a year and a half in the job. When I was a dentist I spent 33 years becoming familiar and good at that job. I used to go into the office in the morning and I would feel entirely confident that nothing that came before me would stymie me, would, would create an issue for me. I was familiar, I was comfortable with the job. That's not true as I stand here as a legislator, I feel like I am learning extraordinarily fast and I have much to learn. But I do think that some aspects of our job are of paramount importance. The development, analysis, critiquing and potential amendment of bills and motions is for me of ultimate importance. We are legislators. That is what we are here to do. When I first came to office, I have to fully admit that I struggled with this. I'm not familiar, I was not at that time familiar with the language of legislation. And I had nobody to turn to with whom to discuss the implications of the bills before me. I'm doing much better now. But I still feel that it's something I have to learn, I have to get better at. I'm improving, but I'm getting better. This week, we talk about the days and weeks immediately following a new MLA's election and ask the question, how do you learn to be an MLA? What a great question. Um, You don't learn how to be an MLA, you learn how to be a people person. If you're a good people person, it's easier to be an MLA. If you're approachable, if you learn to listen without, without talking before the people are finished, telling you what they want to tell you. It's a very complex thing and, and I'd be first to say that I didn't fully understand it. There's no book. You're, you're, you're thrown in. The, you know, the next thing you know, you're, uh, you're on your feet uh, talking. You just do it. People were helpful as, as best they could, but in many ways you had to uh, um, learn as you, as you went. I know just from talking to people over the years that the legislature is for most people is a complete mystery. It's not like any other 
thing they've done in their lives before. It has its unique rules. It's got unique, you know, the, the rhythm, just the way it works. It often takes people years to figure out how the legislature works or why it works the way it does. The period just after an election is arguably the most important time in an MLA's career. The approach that MLAs take to learning their job during these first few weeks in the House of Assembly and in their constituency can often define the rest of their time in office. The majority of MLAs enter the House with no prior legislative experience. Former NDP leader Alexa McDonough recalls how she felt during those first crucial weeks. Even though when I was the only member in there, it was kind of solitary existence because I didn't have a clue about the rules of the House. And actually an awful lot of those you learn by precedence. You don't there's not a chapter in a book that just tells you everything you need to know. As a rookie MLA, Alexa's strength was working with people and engaging with voters. She loved door knocking and talking about the issues, but House procedure was not her top priority. When she was first elected, she was the lone member of the NDP caucus and the only female MLA in the House. The House of Assembly is served by a team of legislative pages, not pages in a book, but assistants, usually university or college students, who serve the Speaker and members of the House of Assembly when it is in session. Now, they take messages to members who are sitting in the house, serve them water, and generally keep things moving smoothly. During those early days, the pages would have often handed Alexa notes that were unsigned with tips that helped her get things done while she was in the house. Help came from surprising places quite often. You know, I'd have a, a note arrive, and I sometimes wouldn't even know where it came from, saying, in case you're wondering, there is no rule that prevent you from doing the following. And I'd think, wow, who sent me that note? I hope they're not making it up because I'm about to gratefully act on that hint. And, you know, in the end, the note sometimes came from some sympathetic person in the gallery because, you know, you can... Do you know how that works in legislatures and parliament? Like, anybody can send a note in to anybody sitting down there in their seat, you know, from the gallery or from outside through the pages. So I, sometimes I never knew where those notes came from. Occasionally I'd learn that it was somebody in the legislative library would send it. Somebody on the um, on the speaker's staff would send it. And then there were other times I never knew. When MLAs like Alexa enter the house for the first time, they are faced with strange surroundings. The house is no ordinary workplace. Louise Cockrum, the lead researcher on the Offscript podcast and one of the co-writers, explains... The Nova Scotia Legislative Assembly meets in Province House on Hollis Street in Halifax. Its large stone structure with Greek columns outside the entrance houses the longest serving legislature in the country. Charles Dickens, the Charles Dickens, visited Halifax in 1842 and stopped by Province House while he was here, Dickens wrote in his book. American notes about his visit to the House. It happened to be the opening of the Legislative Council and General Assembly, at which ceremonial the forms observed on the commencement of a new session of Parliament in England were so closely copied, and so gravely presented on a small scale, that it was like looking at Westminster through the wrong end of a telescope. The inside of the Assembly is equally dissimilar to an average office. The Legislative Library, with its multiple shelves of old books and librarian's ladders looks like a room at Hogwarts. The Red Room, which hosts most of the Assembly's formal events, is a large space with drop lighting, intricately decorated ceilings, 
and two large portraits of our long-dead monarch, Queen Victoria, and her husband, Prince Albert. It is in the Red Room, where all MLAs are sworn in following an election. I'd like to welcome all the members who are about to be sworn in and all of the families and friends who are here today. This is a ceremony that is hundreds and hundreds of years old, and we want to say to the, to the families, and particularly the, the children, that you should remember this day uh, of the millions of people who have been born and lived in the over 250 years of democracy in this province. Only a handful ever are elected by their communities to serve in such uh, high and honorable offices, and uh, you should think about that throughout the ceremony today. Once a member is sworn in, they are officially the representative for their district in the House of Assembly. Whereas by royal proclamation, the then General Assembly of the province was dissolved, and it was ordered that writs of election for the election of members to serve terms were made to the said writs of election. 33 government members have been elected. Seven members have been elected from the New Democratic Party. 11 members of the official opposition have been elected. I would ask each member to come forward and take the oath of allegiance and sign the role as a member of the House of Assembly. I, Carla Michelle McFarlane, do I swear. Morgan McDonald, do swear that I will be faithful. Moi, Chris Dantremont. I, Alan Rowe, do swear that I will be faithful. That I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty the Queen. Sa Majesté la Reine Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II. Her heirs and successors. Her heirs and successors according to law. According to the law. So help me God. So help me God. So help me God. Ainsi que Dieu me soit en aide. Of course, the most important room in the legislature is the chamber itself. This is where the MLAs debate and vote on legislation. The chamber is divided into two sets of desks that are set up to face one another. There are three rows of desks on either side where MLAs sit during a session of the House. The opposition parties are on one side and the government on the other. The first row on each side is spaced exactly two sword lengths apart, a throwback to the Assembly's Westminster heritage and period of time the building was constructed in. At the end of the chamber, in the middle of the two rows, there is a raised dais where the Speaker presides over debate in the House. Until recently, the Speaker would climb the stairs to the dais sit in a regal throne-like chair, but the current Speaker of the House, Kevin Murphy, serves from a wheelchair. After he was elected, the House was renovated and a long ramp was installed to allow him to easily rise to the same place previous Speakers had served from, and to do so from his wheelchair. Following an election, before any legislation is introduced and before any debate happens, the new government's throne speech is given. Please rise. The speech is written by the government, but delivered by the Lieutenant Governor, the Queen's representative in Nova Scotia. Her Honour, the Lieutenant Governor. The Lieutenant Governor delivers the throne speech in the Speaker's chair in full military regalia and a triangle hat. All MLAs are present and the gallery above the chamber is usually filled with invite-only guests, chosen by MLAs. It is the wish of Her Honour 
the Lieutenant Governor, that the ladies and gentlemen be seated. Welcome to the first session of the 61st General Assembly. On June 9th of this year, Nova Scotians made a decisive and historic choice. Because he visited on the opening day of the legislature, Dickens witnessed a throne speech in 1842 as well. The governor, as Her Majesty's representative, delivered what may be called the speech from the throne. He said what he had to say manfully and well. The military band outside the building struck up God Save the Queen with great vigor before His Excellency had quite finished. The people shouted. The inns rubbed their hands, the outs shook their heads. The government party said there was never such a good speech. The opposition declared there was never such a bad one. The Speaker and members of the House of Assembly withdrew from the bar to say a great deal among themselves and do a little. And in short, everything went on and promised to go on just as it does at home upon the like occasions. MLAs have an extraordinary workplace and an extraordinary responsibility that only a few people in Nova Scotia ever get to wield. Your podcast will continue in a moment. There are only a few weeks left in the 2016 calendar year. We'd like to keep making this podcast for you, and we've got roughly 30 full-length episodes that we want to produce for you, and at least as many special episodes, shorter, leaner episodes, over the next year. Unlike most podcasts you probably listen to, there's a really good reason to consider making a donation to the Offscript podcast before the end of December. Here's why. Offscript is produced by Springtide. Springtide is a charity. Registered charities can issue tax receipts, and if you donate today, you'll get a tax receipt that will put a chunk of whatever you donate back in your own pocket when you file your taxes in just a couple of months. You can donate by going to offscript.ca and clicking on the donate button. Aside from funding, you can help make this podcast a success by sharing it with your friends on Facebook and Twitter. You can find the most shareable version of each podcast episode at audioboom.com offscript. Being an MLA is a career like no other. The expectations are high, but the amount of formal training available is low. When we asked MLAs about whether there should be some form of formal training, most told us that there really was no way to prepare for a job like this, and that some unpreparedness, fresh eyes, might be good. Nevertheless, MLAs are expected to have some level of comfort and competence in a wide range of activities. They generally fit into three categories. The expectations placed on them in their constituency, the expectations placed on them by their party, and the expectations related to being a lawmaker. Let's start with constituency expectations. In the districts that they were elected by and for, an MLA is expected to set up an office to serve their constituents, so they'll have to find a suitable space. They'll also need to hire a staff person to serve as their constituency assistant. There are three main things that people are looking for at the constituency level. Help accessing government services like social assistance, student loan support, and that sort of thing. Fixes for local problems, they might be potholes or a school that's facing closure. And lastly, they were looking for the MLA's presence at events. Grand openings of new buildings built by community organizations or businesses, Aunt Thelma's 100th birthday party, concerts, festivals, and community meetings. Now, they were expected to be at political events too, but this was not what dominated their calendars. 
Some people in the constituency, and I consider myself one of them, will approach their MLA about policy issues and the party's position on certain pieces of legislation. But from what we heard, when the phone rings or a constituent walks in the door, policy conversations are far less common than those other three. Most people wanted help getting access to a government service, a fix for a specific issue, or an RSVP to an event they were hosting. The next set of expectations on MLAs is the expectations that their party has of them. When an MLA arrives in Halifax, their primary channel for accessing the legislature is the party they belong to. Unlike in Ottawa, where each member of parliament has an office in one of the many federal buildings scattered across town, each MLA's office is a part of the larger office space rented by their parties. Even the swearing-in ceremony is done by party. All of this is not only symbolic, but serves to socialize the expectations the party has of its member MLAs. The idea that, in Halifax at least, MLAs are, as one MLA put it, the object of the sentence and not the subject of the sentence that describes their activities. The subject is the party, the party leadership to be exact. And while it might have been the voters in each MLA's constituency that brought them to the legislature, it's the party they belong to that determines their fate in the legislature, and the expectations there aren't always small ones. These expectations will be greater for any MLA who finds themselves on the government benches. MLAs in opposition have far more latitude to critique and question the government. When an MLA is on the government side, their party expects them to toe the line with government decisions that they might not have been a part of. Finally, there are responsibilities an MLA has as a lawmaker in the House of Assembly. Uh, at the level of constituency and the party, there are unspoken rules and conventions, but few written hard and fast rules. There's no job description for any of it. You just do what your constituents expect of you, what your party expects of you, and you hope those two things aren't at odds with one another. In the House of Assembly, there still isn't a job description, but there are rules that explain how things are done. In many ways, the expectations of MLAs in the House of Assembly are far more clear than the expectations in any other part of the job. There are plenty of things an MLA can do in their constituency, but not all of those things require a person to be an MLA. They can champion local issues, get access to decision makers within the provincial bureaucracy, and have people answer their phone calls that might not answer the average citizen's phone calls. But the one thing an MLA can do that no other person can do is the work that happens in the legislature. This includes proposing new laws. They can cast votes for or against laws proposed by the government and other members of the House. They can ask direct questions to the government and push certain issues into the spotlight. They can work within the rules of the House of Assembly and its committees to make certain changes, and they can use the leverage they have as a lawmaker to negotiate with other MLAs. These are the things that MLAs can do that nobody else can, but it would be an exaggeration to say that these are expectations placed on the MLA. An MLA can get pretty far without putting much time into these duties. Graham Steele, a former NDP finance minister, explains. Okay, so here's the reality of life of somebody who's in the Nova Scotia legislature, and I assume in Parliament, is usually the, the, the thing that you want the most is to get re-elected. And your voters, you learn very quickly, your voters have no idea what is going on in the legislature. And you can work your pretty little brains out to be the best legislator ever, and the people at home don't care. That's not what they're voting for. And so there's an expression that is used in Halifax, and I assume there's an equivalent in Alberta and in Ottawa, and that is there are no votes in Halifax. So if you come from a seat from outside Halifax, you want to spend as little time as possible in Halifax because your voters are all back home. And so you spend your time diligently doing the 
constituency work, going to bat for people, going to the teas, going to the fire hall, getting to know people, just being around, being friendly, being helpful. Everybody knows who you are. And so if, if the voters don't place any value on the work you do in the legislature, and if, and I totally agree with this, as Elizabeth says, all the votes are preordained anyway because your party leadership has decided what your party's stance is, why would you spend any time on the legislation? So if, like Graham says, there isn't much reward for doing the work of a lawmaker, why would anybody who is new to the game do it? Many people would disagree with that. I would disagree with that. When I vote, that's exactly what I'm thinking about, and maybe you are too. But I know from the conversations we've had with former MLAs that among Nova Scotians, we're in the minority. If it's not something that is rewarded, there still are, without a doubt, people in Province House who are there because they want to change the law. How did you go about learning to, to fulfill that role as sort of the, <laughs> the lawmaker for, for this area? Okay, I, I should confess this is probably not good as a person who was in, in cabinet for 10 years. I never really did understood how the host worked. That's Jamie Muir, who was a minister in the progressive conservative governments led by Premiers John Hamm and Rodney MacDonald. Now, we've played this clip a few times, once at the beginning of the episode and then some of the promotion we've been doing for the podcast. If you're wondering why we both giggled while I was asking that question, it's because his dog started doing something funny during the interview. But we played this clip because it grabs your attention, but not necessarily for the reason you might think. Jamie's no dummy. Before entering politics, he was a professor at the Teachers College in Churro, and during his 10 years in cabinet, he just never bothered learning the rules of the house. You mean there's a set of rules and procedures how that place worked? I really wasn't interested in it a whole lot. And we had a couple of guys like Ron Russell when he was speaker, and mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the, the, these guys that were really interested in this. And we had a host leader who knew about that. And... All this business of first reading, second reading, third reading, and all of that. Uh, I just did what they told me. I, I, you, if you ask me how it worked, I'd, I'd refer you to, to, to somebody. And, and quite frankly, I think there are an awful lot of people in the legislature uh, who are like I was uh, in those days. Now, that does not mean, I'm not saying that we did not read the bills and study them or anything like that, but just in terms of host procedures, you know, how this, there is, there is a way that that thing works. And I really wasn't particularly interested in how it worked. I wanted to get things done and, uh, you know, we had people who knew how it worked and told us what to do and that's fine. It sounds like it was more like mm -hmm. if there was something you or caucus wanted to get done, yeah. there'd be somebody that whose job it was to figure out that. How to get it done. Some of the people who became MLAs had backgrounds in law or at another level of politics. Those folks had experience working with process, policy, and procedure. But others didn't. Even those who had experience with those things still felt some discomfort when they arrived at their seats in the House. We asked MLAs two questions. What was it like to enter the house for the first time? And how did you learn to be an MLA? George Moody was plenty comfortable speaking in public, but there was something about the house that he and his seatmate felt overwhelmed about when they finally stood up to speak. I was very nervous. And I think I'll never forget the first time I had to speak. I was very nervous. Um, one of the things that 
having been a school teacher and a principal, uh, you, you learn very quickly to speak in front of an audience. So it's not quite so bad as if you never had to speak publicly before. But uh, Terry Donahue, who uh, Terry was a lawyer and been in the courtroom, and um, when he first spoke, he was just as nervous as I was. And we, we had a little chat afterwards about how come this place takes on a different, you know, you're nervous here when you've spoken in court or a bunch in front of the public before. You know, when you come in in the legislature, you don't know anybody. I mean, there were two guys in my legislature, you know, when I got elected. And they both had beards, and, you know, six months before I really knew who was who. Pretty quickly, um, you're, uh, you're introduced to the rest of the caucus. I mean, you're, when I say you're introduced, I mean, you know who they are. But, you know, there is a caucus meeting, and some basic terms are set out, which are things like... Um, you know, uh, you are going to need to set up a constituency office. You will need your own telephone line. If I recall, there was like a one-day training session put on for MLAs in the in the red room in the legislature, where the speaker's office staff sort of uh, explain a little bit about how the house works. Uh, there is a house rule book, which is very very helpful. I mean, there are there are rules of procedure and. They're really not that complicated, so I mean, it's just like a little style book. It's not a whole lot else than that. Um, but for the most part, uh, it was a question of um, watching others and uh, learning as you went along. And I don't know if it can be much different. Uh, I, I think that that that's just the way of it. You you have to uh, uh, find your find your path. In, in, in the process. The formal rules are not all that hard to learn. I mean, you're given a little booklet, the booklet has the rules. But none of that really prepares you for the actual workload that you need to do as an MLA. In caucuses with more seasoned members, new MLAs found it useful to receive advice from their more experienced colleagues. Former Premier Rodney MacDonald appreciated the support he got from his caucus colleagues after he won his first election as MLA at the age of 27. Uh, Angus MacIsaac from Antigonish uh, had been elected before as well, and elected as a young person. Uh, and uh, he was a huge help to me. Uh, so I would meet weekly with Angus McIsaac and Ron Chisholm from Guysborough. Every Wednesday we would meet for breakfast, uh, and uh, we would meet at the Blue Nose Restaurant faithfully for years. Most of my political career was meeting for them for breakfast every week. How much you learn and the quality of what you learn in a caucus setting really depends on the willingness of your party to offer it. And the party itself and the members in it all have some agenda. But that's a whole topic for another episode. For now, we'll explore how MLAs put their training into practice. People were helpful as, as best they could, but in many ways you had to uh, um, learn as you, as you went. And so when you finally did get elected, um, how did you learn to be an MLA? How did you learn the rules of the house? How did you learn the upper aspects. Hmm. So. Uh, more by osmosis or accident than anything else. Graham Steele found out through interactions with his colleagues that the house was a daunting place for them, even after the orientation now, period. I, I know just from talking to people over the years that the legislature is, for most people, is a complete mystery. It's not like any other thing they've done in their lives before. It has its unique rules, it's got unique, you know, the, the rhythm, just the way it works. 
and it, it it often takes people years to figure out how the legislature works or why it works the way it does. Yeah. Graham was in a unique position when he entered the House. As we heard in a previous episode, he had been the head of research for the NDP caucus and had previously trained and worked as a lawyer. I was very comfortable with laws, you know, dealing with laws and legislation. Um, I'd been a litigation lawyer, so I was very comfortable questioning people and what you had to do to do a good job of questioning people. Graham's legal expertise and his experience as a former staffer put him in good stead to understand how the House works. But he soon found out through interactions with his fellow MLAs that learning how to operate in the constituency said a lot about how they perceived their role. Most MLAs, though, are not in their comfort zone dealing with that stuff. Stuff meaning work in the legislature. For most MLAs, understanding the rules of the House was secondary to their constituency responsibilities. They're in their comfort zone back home in the constituency. So, so in a weird way, I was doing exactly what they were doing. It just I'm an odd enough duck as a politician that my comfort zone was spending more time with the legislature. But I also knew that that's not where the votes are. You know, apart from raising my public profiles. Constituency duties were consistently a top priority for most MLAs that we spoke with. So it makes sense that this is one of the first things that they took it upon themselves to learn. You don't learn how to be an MLA. You learn how to be a people person. Sometimes, even when we explicitly asked about how they learned to fulfill their legislative roles, we still heard about the constituency. But in terms of learning um, the rules of the Legislative Assembly, um, did you did the Assembly provide any training for that, or was that something that was also kind of... Like the job is uh, multifaceted, and one of the main responsibilities is you know looking after your constituents and, and all their various issues and concerns. Most people are, are reasonable in that regard, but the other aspect then, you're representing them in the legislature in Halifax, so... Um, you know, your your maiden speech, I guess, is always expected of an MLA. You get up and talk about your riding and the people and the the positives and the not so um, positive things that are, are of concern to the to the residents. There's no formal training or course that you can take that I'm aware of that uh, allows you to say, here's here's the role of an MLA. Here's what you need to do. Um, but you soon learn because when somebody calls you and says. Uh, you know, I've got no money left, uh, my rent is overdue, and I, I need heat, uh, you know, to, or food for my children. Uh, you soon find the right contact, uh, you know, within the Department of Social Services, or or if it's a road issue, uh, you, know, you soon find out who the local foreman is, or the, uh, the manager for the local Department of Transportation, or whatever. So, to review, here's what MLA has told us about how they learn to do their jobs. All of the recent MLAs we spoke with got some form of training from the clerk's office on how the house works. Most had an orientation with their parties also, and the parties provided both formal and informal mentorship opportunities with senior MLAs. The end result of all of that training seemed to lead MLAs to learn how to help their constituents and leave the lawmaking, the question writing, and navigation of house procedure to the experts. This didn't mean that they wouldn't take part in those activities, but it did mean that they were generally relying on someone else's expertise rather than their own. MLAs talked about their approach to learning the ropes of the House of Assembly in much the same way that many of us might talk about doing our taxes. Most people hate filing their taxes. If you're someone that can afford to, you probably get someone else to do it for you. The MLAs we spoke with were never convinced that the effort they might put into learning the rules of the House would bring payoffs in the form of the kind of things that they wanted to get done as an MLA. For some, that was getting re-elected. 
For others, it was making policy change. For most, it was a bit of both. And in either case, the house wasn't seen as the place that that work began. It's not just the rules of the house that matter, it's the dynamics of the house, the unseen incentive structures that give MLAs more satisfaction for doing work that didn't revolve around the legislature itself, despite the fact that nobody else has the lawmaking power an MLA has. Now, because of these incentives, most MLAs prioritize learning about how to serve their constituents at home and follow the lead of their party when it came to what to do in Halifax. Parties play a huge role in the experience of an MLA in the legislature and throughout the Nova Scotia political system. In the next episode of the Offscript podcast, that's what we'll explore. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Offscript podcast. This is the last of our standard episodes for 2016. We'll air special episodes for the next two Tuesdays. A special episode is a shorter episode that's a bit easier to produce and typically involves an extended interview, speech, or story from a single person, and sometimes that person is a former MLA and sometimes they're not. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe in iTunes or wherever it is that you keep your podcasts by searching for On the Record Offscript. Offscript is made possible with funding we got from the Democracy 250 Youth Engagement Legacy Trust. That funding got us started, but in order to keep it going and keep producing better, longer, higher quality podcasts, we need support from people like you. You can donate by going to offscript.ca and clicking on the donate button. Aside from funding, you can help make this podcast a success by sharing it with your friends on Facebook and Twitter. You can find the most shareable version of each podcast episode at audioboom.com slash offscript. Offscript is produced by Springtide, and this podcast is one of a handful of projects we're working on to help Nova Scotians learn about and better engage with our politics. Be sure to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Springtide Collective, follow us on Twitter at Springtide Co., and sign up for email updates at springtidecollective.ca. This episode of Offscript was written and produced by Louise Cockrum and me, Mark Coffin, with the support of many volunteer transcribers. The theme music you heard in this podcast comes from Josh Spacek at needledrop.co, and the other music you heard comes from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech. Thank you to the Association of XMLAs and all MLAs who participated in our interviews. 